Each cupboard is full of ledgers and volumes of letters and boxes of photographs. Some ledgers are double-stacked. It is a whole world. It is a family, a bank, a dynasty. I want to ask if you ever threw anything away. Hello and welcome back to the Vintage Books podcast. I'm Naomi, producer of the show, and I'm happy to introduce today's episode which features a special extract from Letters to Commando by Edmund de Waal. Edmund de Waal is an artist whose porcelain is exhibited in museums and galleries around the world. He is author of The Hair with Amber Eyes and The White Road, and he has been awarded the RSL Anjante Prize and the Costa Biography Award. In his newest book, he paints a fascinating portrait of the eminent French art collector, Count Moise de Commando, who lived a few doors away from Edmond de Waal's forebears, the Afrosi family, who are central to the story of the hair with amber eyes. The Commando family were part of Belle Epoque High Society. They were also targets of anti-Semitism. Commando created a spectacular house and filled it with the greatest private collection of French 18th century art for his son to inherit. But when Nissim was killed in the First World War, it became a memorial and, on the Count's death, was bequeathed to France. The Musée Nissim de Commando has remained unchanged since 1936. Edmond de Waal explores the lavish rooms and detailed archives uncovering new layers to the family story in a haunting series of letters addressed to the Count. We hope you enjoy listening to this extract from the audiobook. Letter 1 Dear friend, I've been spending time in archives again. It is an early spring morning. There is that barely suppressed imminence in the trees in the park. Few leaves yet, but next week will be different. Too cold and wet to sit for long on one of the benches. But I do. Even the dogs aren't hanging about. It's been raining. There is a word for the smell of the world after rain. Petrichor. It sounds a little French. Everyone seems to be off and away at this hour, all this forward energy, propulsive. I get up and walk along the damp, gravelled path, out of the great gilded gates into the Avenue Reisedal, and turn left up the Rue de Monceau. I ring the buzzer outside number 63 and wait for a response. I'm going back to archives, that strong pull up to those rooms high in the attics, the servants' quarters, going back a hundred years. Letter 2 Dear friend, I'm making an archive of your archive. I find inventories, carbon copies, auction catalogues, receipts and invoices, memoranda, wills and testaments, telegrams, newspaper announcements, cards of condolence, seating plans and menus, scores, opera programmes, Sketches, bank records, 
hunting notebooks, photographs of artworks, photographs of the family, photographs of gravestones, account books, notebooks of acquisitions. Each document is on a different kind of paper, each has a different weight and texture and scent. Some have been stamped to show when a letter has been received and when answered. Archives are a way of showing how conscientious you are, and it is clear that this is a place of discreet and powerful concentration. Why is so much copied? Why carbon copies almost weightless? Here, on the fifth floor of 63 Rue de Monceau, amongst the servants' rooms, is a room lined with deep oak-panelled cupboards. It used to be l'ancien garde-meuble, the old storage room, according to the architect's plans from 1910. Each cupboard is full of ledgers and volumes of letters and boxes of photographs. Some ledgers are double-stacked. It is a whole world. It is a family, a bank, a dynasty. I want to ask if you ever threw anything away. I find the letters about excursions to restaurants with gastronomic friends. I find instructions to the gardeners for the annual replanting of the parterre. Instructions to your wine merchant, to the bookbinder, to keep your copies of the Gazette de Beaux-Arts in perfect red Morocco. Instructions for the storage of furs. Instructions for the vet, the cooper, the florist. I find your responses to the dealers who write daily. Here are your notebooks of purchases. The first inscribed, before 1907, to the 22nd of November, 1926. Second one, 3rd of January, 1927, to the 2nd of August, 1935. They are meticulous. I find manifests for cargo. Manifests for people as cargo. I find the manifests for your daughter, for your son-in-law, for their children. I find this difficult. Letter 3 Dear friend, as I'm mostly English, I want to ask you about the weather. I want to inquire about the weather in Constantinople and out in the Alette forest where you hunt with the Lyon Alette in blue livery at the weekends and at Saint-Jean-Cap-Ferrat, and out at sea, gusty. I know that you had a rather splendid yacht, but I'm not sure if that was a plutocratic purchase of obligation or pleasure. In fact, I want to know more about your obsession with speed, all that bowling along in the newest motor car with the wind buffeting you, the Paris to Berlin race, everything flying past as France disappears into the dust made by your Renault Landulet. In 1895, you sit high up in a cap and goggles and a leather motoring coat, a blanket over your knees, and you're ready to take on the world. It's a sunny day. The shadows of the car are long. The road is empty. I wonder about the weather in the paintings by Guadi that you've bought for Le Petit Bureau, the small study. The gondoliers are straining against the wind past the Piazza San Marco. The pennants are flying. The lagoon is an Empyrean jade. I want to know about the porcelain room, where your serve service, les services aux oiseaux bonfants, are displayed in cabinets, on six shelves, and where you eat your lunch alone. Do you look out of the windows and see the branches of the trees swaying gently in your garden, and beyond it, in the Parc Monceau? 
1913, you planted Acer, Chinese privet and deep red-leaved Prunus pisadiae cherry plum trees. You were thinking ahead, of course. This is how the English ask how you are. We talk about the weather and trees. I'll ask again. Letter 4 Dear, I realise that I'm not entirely sure about how to address you, Monsieur Lecomte. As I shuffle through the letters from the dealers and the tradesmen soliciting your attention, your patronage in the matter of the anniversary exposition, your kindness in allowing us to remit this bill, you are addressed in various orotund ways. I like the collegiate greeting I found this morning from a friend from the Club de Sang, inviting you to join him on a gastronomic adventure in a private restaurant car, mon cher camarade. In these things, I'm caught between not wanting to offend and not wanting to waste time. Monsieur is possible and dignified and might lead to cher monsieur. So I'm not going to call you Moise. And to call you Camondo sounds stentorian, a barked greeting across a library or dinner table. I know we're related in complicated ways, but that can wait. So I'm writing to you as friend. We shall see how we get on. I feel strange about signing off too. Letter 5 Dear friend, I'd like to ask you about the carpet of the winds. It's in Le Grand Salon, the large drawing room overlooking the park. It is one of 93 carpets woven at the Savonnerie manufactory between 1671 and 1688 for the Galerie du Bois de l'Eau in the Louvre. This is the 50th. The four winds puff their cheeks and blow their long horns, and the air is knotted and raveled with gusts of ribbons and Juno and Aeolus. There are crowns and more trumpets and cascades of flowers deliquescing and stiff acanthus framing it all in its gold and blue, the colour of the wind along the wharfs of Galata, out at sea. This is early morning stuff, bracing. It used to be a longer carpet when you first walked on it in the house of the Heimendals, fellow financiers in the Rue de Constantine, and when they were in some financial embarrassment, you bought it from them. I'm pleased to find that Charles Fussy helped you buy it, as he knew you and them, knew everyone, could deal with this sort of thing charmingly and made things happen. Charles is important to me, the cousin who set me off on my adventures. And I suppose I want to know that you notice it. Notice that you are walking on air, on exhalation. Letter 6 Dear friend, because it is a Parisian spring out there, I want to open all the windows of your gorgeous golden house, and there are a lot of them. The façade to the Rue de Monceau is seven windows wide, modelled by your architect on the spare elegance of the Petit Trianon at Versailles. But rather brilliantly, there are fifteen windows on the park side, where the straight façade becomes two wings, framing a grand semicircular bay supported by Corinthian pilasters, this is a house that you cannot understand without a plan. And forgive me this conceit, 
but just imagine the air moving, reaching round these rooms and up that sinuous staircase, reuniting the winds in these paintings and tapestries and the carpet of the winds. And maybe starting with this golden carpet wasn't quite right, but I'm feeling rather cheerful being here, and I suppose I wanted to write to you about what is under your feet. If I could work this out, then I could get a fuller feeling for where you start. I've spent quite a few years in your company, and it seems only sensible to talk about beginnings. You were born in a stone house at 6 Camondo Street in Galata, in Constantinople, and spent the first nine years of your life looking out over the Bosphorus. There was an adjoining pavilion in which there is an oratory and baths opposite the winter garden. That's a pretty telling genesis. Not many people begin in a street with a familial name, or indeed a palais or hotel or palazzo, or a house with an oratory, but we will get to that in time. It's a bit of an issue. But stone suggests distinction. Then I find out a little more that the whole of Galata seems to have been owned by your family, and that your grandfather was responsible for my favourite staircases in the world, those sinuous, intertwined runs of steps, breathing in and out down a hillside. I had a photograph of this staircase by Cartier-Bresson above my potter's wheel for years. I'd look up, hands covered in clay, and think, elsewhere. If I'm obsessing about working from the ground up, we could start with dust. I know that dust matters to you. On the 20th of January, 1924, in the Instructions and Advice for the Curators of the Musée Nissim de Camondo, you write, I wish my museum to be admirably maintained and kept meticulously clean. The task is not an easy one, even with the first-class staff, of whom there must be a sufficient number for this job, but the work is made easier by a complete vacuum cleaning system, which works cheaply and marvellously well. Due to its powerful operation, this method of cleaning should not be used for antique carpets, tapestries and silks, but is of great benefit. Your house is so clean so charged in its defences against dust. You don't want time to change anything, light to fade the tapestries, heat to warp the veneered furniture, the panelling, the parquet floors, dust to damage the collection. You also worry about damp. On rainy days, the public should enter via the wrought iron doors from the covered motor car entrance, linking the courtyard to the mews, that leads to Boulevard Malzerbe. The door is approached via a wide, paved area which could be covered with matting and where one could place umbrella stands. The weather must be kept out, the windows kept closed. We need to talk about this again. Letter 7 Dear friend, It's not that I don't like being clean. It's just that I'm drawn to dust. Dust comes from something. It shows something has happened. 
shows what has been disturbed or changed in the world. It marks time. A few years ago, I was asked to be part of an exhibition about Giorgio Morandi. I went to Morandi's apartment in the Via Fondazza in Bologna, where he lived for 30 years with his mother and sister, his modest studio through a door off the dining room. Here he arranged and rearranged his votive jars and vases and painted tin cans into still lives, marking down their choreographic positions in pencil on the tables he had made. And over these objects, wrote John Rewild, a visiting art historian, was a dense grey velvety dust, like a soft coat of felt, its colour and texture seemingly providing the unifying element for these tall bottles and deep bowls. It was a dust that was not the result of negligence and untidiness, but of patience, a witness to complete peace. The dust that covered them was like a mantle of nobility. You live without negligence or untidiness. But I hope you might understand the witness element of this. I'm sure the mantle of nobility will speak to you. Without dust, monsieur, it's harder to find the traces. I look back at the traces of my own family and think of how they started out in a shtetl, dusty, then moved to Odessa on the Primorsky Boulevard overlooking the Black Sea, and then on to the Ringstrasse in Vienna and to the Rue de Monceau, ten houses up the hill from where you live here in Paris, and think that they must have been living in one vast building site after another, unpaved streets and the horses and carts and carriages and the stonemasons working outside the house and in, and then the carpenters and plasterers and painters and gilders, each producing their own clouds of particular dust, foul in winter and worse in the summer. With the fires in every room and the gas lamps that give off that sweaty sootiness, and then the Second Empire soft furnishings, all those padded seats, all that operatic nonsense around curtains and blinds and pelmets and trailing swags, there must have been dust settling everywhere. To keep dust free, you need to be rich and exacting and have servants to endlessly sweep away all those traces that might show where you have come from. This is the parallel, dusty journey of our families. I'll give it a rest. We hope you enjoyed listening to that extract. You can find out more about Letters to Commando in the episode description. If you were a fan of The Hair with Amber Eyes, what did you think? Let us know. You can get in touch with us at Vintage Books on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, keep reading boldly and thinking differently. <laughs>